I grew up in the city of Melbourne in Australia. And when I was in school, the school that I went to was a very big school. It had almost 2,000 students. And then on top of that, obviously, staff, both teaching staff and administrative and all the rest of it. So it was a very large community. And one of the things that they would do every single year was to arrange an athletics carnival. And so imagine the logistics of that. Imagine all the buses that would take 2,000 students along with teachers and volunteer parents, like this whole community. And the school was so big that we had to rent out like a proper, legit athletic stadium, you know, the ones that they use for real kind of big events, right? And so every year we would have this athletics carnival and they would divide us all up into these different teams and we would be competing within track and field events. Do I have any athletes in here who understand track and field events? A few of you, awesome. Well, let me give you a brief little education in case you don't. And so, track, we're talking, you know, the big oval running races where you could either do the 100 metre sprint, maybe you'd be doing the 200 metre sprint. There was the middle to long distance runs, you know, kind of like the 800 metres, which was like two laps around, essentially. The 1500 metre, the 3000 metre, there was hurdles, you know, things that you jump over. There was the, the relay races where you got to run and then hand the baton over without dropping it to the next person who's going to run. So we had all of these track events. Then there was the field, all the jumping and throwing activities, you know, throwing the discus or the javelin, doing the high jump, the long jump, the triple jump, all of the events, none of which I could do any of them. So I dreaded this day. And so we would get there and would be told what you would be participating in for the day. Now, I've blanked out a lot of the memories of it because it was quite horrific and having to go through that every single year. But what I do remember fondly was actually the groups of teachers and parents who were assigned especially to be the cheerleaders. They were positioned all around the track and their only job for the whole day was that as we, as these young children, you know, like nine-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 10-year-olds, right up until 16, 17-year-olds, their job was that as we went running around the lap, that they would be there going, come on, you can do it. There's only 552 laps to go. No, there is only three laps to go. There's two laps to go. One, come on, you're on your final lap. You can do it. Keep on going. Don't stop now. You're gonna get more points for your team. Come on. And they would be cheering at us. And you know, I still remember as I'd be running around one of those laps, kind of thinking, Lord, you can take me now. Seriously, I'm good. Like, I love you. I know where I'm going when I die. You, you just beam me up, Scotty. Like, I'd be there, but then suddenly I'd run past some of these teachers and these parents and be like, come on, Selena. You could, and something about being cheered at, you kind of, your shoulders go back a little bit more and your head kind of lunges a bit further and you kind of find this extra reserve of energy. And until then, you'd stop hearing the cheers and you kind of slump again until you got to the next lot of cheerleaders. Consider today, this message, consider me your cheerleader. Consider me right now on the edge of your life, looking at your life and whatever lap you're on right now, I wanna be able to cheer and say, keep on going, keep on going, don't give up, keep on running, don't stop 
right now. And incidentally, those three words is the title of today's message, to keep on going. Because you see, I really do believe that there are seasons in our life, and I sense so many people are in this season, where sometimes we feel like we are running a middle to long distance race, where we feel that we get to the end of one lap and we think, oh, surely this is the end of it, only to realize, oh, no, there, there's another lap. And then we do that lap and we go, come on, it, surely it's the end of this season now, only to go, oh, there's another lap. Oh, another lap. And just as we finish one, another one begins. But do you know that another lap looks different for every single person? One lap could represent a day. One lap could represent another week of something. One lap could represent another month of something. Maybe even another year of something. Maybe another lap for somebody is, oh, another medical appointment, another therapy session, another treatment for cancer, another invoice to pay, another tough conversation to have, another job application, another rejection letter, having to move again, having to pack the boxes and then unpack the boxes again, again, another lap, another lap, another lap. But you see, I believe with all of my heart that the Lord would love to say to each and every one of us to keep on going and that right now there are seasons that may seem never-ending but you're actually closer to the end of it than what you may realize you see when I think of my own life there are typically three reasons why I want to give up sometimes and I think that you can probably relate to some of them. Now, there are many reasons why you should stop doing something, but in general, when there's times when I really know I should keep on going, but I wanna give up, often it's because of fear. They're gonna come up on the screen. Sometimes I wanna give up because I'm you know, scared of failure, scared of, oh, do I really have what it takes? Am I really good enough for this? Or there's a bit of risk involved? What if it really doesn't work out? We kind of want to give up because of fear. Anyone feel that way sometimes? Sometimes we want to give up because we get impatient. We want everything and we want it now. We want it five minutes ago. We're in this instant gratification society and sometimes we're like, oh, I'm getting impatient because of a process. Sometimes I want to give up simply because you get discouraged you get disappointed and there is a weariness sometimes when something doesn't seem to be ending. I wonder if any of you here in Copenhagen or over in Olbo that you've experienced seasons like this, maybe you're in one right now, where you are overwhelmed by some fear, getting a bit impatient, getting quite weary. We need to keep on going. And so to that end, I want us to turn to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is found in the Old Testament, and I'm going to be reading the chapter six, verses one to four, and that is gonna be our main text for today, also with some additional scriptures from other parts of the Bible. But before I read this passage to you, I want to give you a little bit of context. 
And so at the point of Joshua chapter six, verses one to four, Moses has passed away. Moses has died. And many of you would be familiar with Moses. He was the one that the Lord appointed to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And then they wandered, if you remember, for 40 years in the wilderness. And at this point, Moses dies and the Lord anoints, appoints Joshua to become the leader of the Israelites, who was now responsible and mandated with the task to transition the Israelite people out of 40 years in the wilderness and to begin to enter into the promised land that the Lord has for them. But what you need to understand, guys, is that this promised land isn't just some reserved vacant land that the Lord has just held for them for all of these decades, for all of these periods of time. There's actually other people groups that are currently inhabiting this land and that are living there. And in order for the Israelites to take a hold of what God has promised them, they're gonna have to face some battles. They're gonna have to conquer a few cities. They're gonna have to face a few enemies. And it's at this point that Joshua is given the first city that they need to overtake and it's the city of Jericho. And what you need to understand about Jericho is that at this point historically, it is the, known as one of the strongest advanced cities of the time. It is known for its military strength, military power. It's known for its resources. It's known for its brilliant leadership. And all the other cities and people are actually quite nervous and quite you know, terrified of this particular city, but it is the first one that the Lord says to Joshua, we're gonna take that one out first. Because if we take that one out first, that is gonna show all the other cities that they better beware because you've got the Lord on your side. And so it's here in Joshua chapter six, verse one to four that we now read. It says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. Jericho, the people there already knew that the Israelites were on their way. And so they went into their own form of lockdown. No one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. We're gonna talk about trumpets later. And that's not a joke, we really are. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. What I wanna do in the time that we have is I wanna share three observations that I get from this text, which I believe apply to each and every one of our lives within this whole context of what it means to keep on going when you want to give up. Are you ready for the first one? Are you ready here in Copenhagen? Are you ready over in Olbo? I can't hear you, but I believe you're responding because you guys are amazing and I know you do that. So the first one is this. Number one, God gave Joshua confidence and assurance in what seemed like an impossible situation. Now, the text tells us that the gates were securely barred and that no one was coming in and no one was coming out. And these walls would have been just so high up, made of solid you know, brick, the materials of it. And can you imagine Joshua looking at it 
and he's there and he's kind of surveying it all. But then the Lord says to Joshua, see, I have given the city to you. Now, you need to think this through. I find that odd to read because Joshua is staring at it. They haven't even gone into battle yet. They haven't set foot yet into this battle and they're staring at it. But the Lord says, see, I have given it to you. He doesn't say, see Joshua, I will give it to you. It's it's going to happen. He says, no, the way that it's worded in the text, it's that it's already been done. But then I ask myself, well, how is that possible? Because it hasn't been done. It's because we are human and we live linear lives, past, present, future. So if we're gonna read it in a linear perspective, then it doesn't make sense. But what we need to understand is that while you and I, we are human, God is eternal. And so meaning we see things in a linear way, yesterday, today, tomorrow, but God is eternal. And we can't fully comprehend it, but He is, Scripture tells us He is before us and He's alongside of us and He's behind us. He is everywhere present, but in all tenses, past, present, and future. And so Joshua's here and he's looking at it, but the Lord is saying, see, I have given it to you because the Lord is in the future and the Lord already knows. And the Lord gives Joshua this word of encouragement to give him confidence and assurance that it looks impossible, but the Lord, He knows the future. He's in your future. He's in my future, just like He was in Joshua's future. And while we see something that's impossible, we have our Lord, we have Yahweh who is in the future and He's calling out, it's okay, you can keep on going because I know how this works out. I'm over here now and I'm calling out to you over there going, you can keep on going. See, I have given you victory, even though right now something may seem impossible. And that gives Joshua this confidence and this assurance to keep on going. Just like those teachers and those parents around the track going, come on, Selena, you can do it. I don't know, when the Lord encourages, it has the same effect. We can go put our shoulders back a little bit and go, wow, it looks like this right now, but when I turn to Scripture and I see what the Lord says and I see His promises and they're alive and Wow, I can keep on going, which is why we need to be in the Word of God daily. We need to be in the Word of God. You see, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 2, this is now in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews is now giving a bit of a summary of everything that's taken place in the Old Testament. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. What was it that later on caused those walls to fall down? Was it their might? Was it their power? No, it was their faith. It was their faith that was given to them by God, this godly confidence and assurance. And as they stood in faith, it says here, the writer in Hebrews says it was faith that caused those walls to fall down. I wonder what walls you see in your life right now. I wonder what immovable walls are in front of you that you with all of your own striving and with all of your own might, you're trying to work out how to push them down. I think it's a call to faith right now, a call to saying, God, would you please give me confidence and assurance and open up my eyes to see what you already know, to see what you already see so I can keep 
ongoing is that okay church the second observation that we get from this text is this God gave Joshua you're going to love this one a process can you all say process over an old boy, a process to follow which contradicted human logic God gave Joshua a process to follow which contradicted human logic now Process, it is a series of actions or steps taken in order to achieve a particular end. Now, if I was in the army and if I had military experience, right, I would kind of know, thank you, I could kind of know that there was probably a correct series of actions and steps to take to, I don't know, battle it out and overcome a city. So Joshua, he comes to the army. Imagine I'm Joshua and you're here, you're the Israelite army. Okay, we're going to have a bit of imagination here. I'm Joshua, and I've come up to you. I've said, right, guys, we're out of the wilderness. I've had some time with the Lord, and we're actually now going to go, and we're going to all fight together, and we're going to overtake Jericho, right? Two of you are excited about this. Some of the rest of you want to stay in the wilderness. Fine, stay. So we are going to now overtake Jericho. Now you're probably all going, okay, great, let's get the weapons, let's do everything we can, let's get our armor on. I'm going, actually, this is how we're gonna do it. We're gonna start tomorrow, we're gonna wake up early, we're gonna get in our 10,000 steps and we are going to walk around Jericho. We're gonna walk. Are you with me so far? So at this point, any intelligent soldier would be, this guy has lost his brain. So we're gonna just walk around it. And guess what, we're gonna go home and we're gonna have, what's the name of that pastry, that KMM? We're gonna have, we're gonna have some Ponsphere. We're gonna have that. And then tomorrow, now you wanna be a part of my army. Tomorrow, we get up and we do it again. On day two, right? Nina is gonna provide all the Ponsphere for this seven days. And we're gonna go around and we're gonna do this for six days and on the seventh day, we're gonna walk around it seven times. That's essentially what Joshua said, minus the Brunsphere. That's what he said to his army. I know you're all laughing because it's ridiculous. All of the other soldiers would have been like, what? At what point do we actually get in there and you know, chop a few heads off and actually do something? But it was the process that they had to follow because we see in Proverbs chapter three, verses five to six, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. We read in Isaiah 55 verses eight to 11, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. I wonder what next step or what next action that you might be delaying because it does not make sense to you. Often we want clarity first and then we will obey. 
But usually, I'm sorry guys, in this journey of faith, it is usually first a step of obedience and then clarity follows afterwards. Last year in March, we had the lockdown. Do you remember that period of time, 2020? The month before, in the February, I felt the Lord putting it on my heart to resign from a permanent full-time job as a teacher at an international school here in Copenhagen. And I don't have the time, and this is not the time nor the place to go into the whole story as to why that happened and what made me finally make that decision. But suffice to say, I made the decision to resign. And on the last business day of February, I handed in my resignation. And my plan was, was that I had been five years leading up to that point just on the side, building up a writing and editing agency, and I felt God saying to step into it full time. And so I did. However, we got to March, didn't we? And the whole globe changed. And I remembered partway through March as the reality of what was going to be ahead of us as a global community and just even within our nation, within our local city, I remembered praying to the Lord saying, God, this does not make sense. I really felt you tell me last month to resign from a permanent, secure, full-time job and to step into this And now we have COVID-19. We now we have a pandemic where the world is going into lockdown and there's now such great uncertainty. And I so clearly felt the Holy Spirit say to me, oh, Selena, I needed you to do it back then because you'd be too scared to do it now. (laughs) He knows what he's doing. Fast forward, you know, 18 months, I'm still here, still kicking on, still doing it. Didn't make sense at the time. But clarity always follows obedience. The third observation as we come to a close is this. God gave Joshua victory when the priests blew the trumpets and the army gave a shout of praise. I encourage you during the week just to read the whole chapter. I'm not gonna read it now. But suffice to say the army, they followed the plan of the Lord as described by Joshua. They did all the marching. They did the seven days. And we read here in Joshua 6, verse 20. When the trumpets sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. Now, I mentioned that I'll talk about trumpets, and I am going to, because they're significant. You see, what you need to understand is that in the book of Exodus, we read the recount of Moses' life and his story. And you'll be familiar that there came a point when Moses and the Israelites couldn't go any further because they had the Red Sea right in front of them. And coming up behind them was Pharaoh's army, you know, the Egyptian army, coming to run back after them. And they were literally at a bit of a checkmate here. They were at the edge and there was just the Red Sea in front of them and the enemy coming towards them. And you probably remember how the Lord, he parts the Red Sea, do you remember that? And it's such a miracle. And it says in Exodus 14, verses 13 to 14, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. 
And you know the miracle that happens after that, don't you? And so that miracle happens and we move on some time and then in Numbers, chapter 10, verses eight to nine, we've now got some instructions happening here. The sons of Aaron, the priests, they are to blow the trumpets. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you and the generations to come. When you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets. Then you'll be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. This is what they were all thinking when they were doing their laps around Jericho. And when they did the final lap, when the priests blew on the trumpets, it wasn't because it was the only instrument readily available to them. It was strategic. That was their weapon, not swords. It was worship. It was a call to remembrance of the faithfulness of the Lord. Because as the priests blew on those trumpets and they let out a loud cry and a loud shout of praise, they were thinking of a time when Moses, when he was alive, he stood in front of the Red Sea and he said to all of the Israelites, you just need to stand firm and be still and see how the Lord will deliver. And they watched an ocean part. It was a miracle that took place. And they're now here in Jericho and they're going, right, if there's nothing more we can do, it must only mean one thing, a miracle has been set in motion and the walls came down and they didn't need to lay a finger on the wall. They just came straight in. You know what church, I have such a burning sense that miracles are being set in motion right now. That miracles are being set in motion in your life here in Copenhagen, over in Olbor. We serve a God of miracles and yes, there is often process. Oh, but can we not also forget the miraculous supernatural, all-powerful Lord that we worship and we read in Scripture. Because if we believe He did it there, why do we not believe He does it now? Why do we not believe He's gonna part oceans in your life? Why can't we not believe that He's gonna send walls tumbling down in your own life if we would just choose to keep on going, to keep on going? I wanna encourage you, church. If you're feeling fear, if you're feeling impatience, if you're feeling weariness, would you close your eyes right now? And I just wanna read one scripture over you, found in Psalm 126, verses four to six. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. And so we do not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Galatians 6, 9. We keep on going. And right now where every head is bowed and every eyes is closed, I wanna ask you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? You see, Jesus, He is our ultimate example of a person who completed a process and did not give up. He kept on going, He kept on going, He kept on going. Right until being nailed on a cross, He could have come down at any time. He was the Lord, He is the Lord, but He kept on going. But He finished a process 
so that He could come alongside you as the greatest cheerleader in your life saying, you can keep on going too. And in a few moments, I'm gonna count to three. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you want one, all it involves is asking Him to be your Lord and Saviour. And when I count to three, I'm just gonna ask any person here, here in Copenhagen and in Olbo, if that's you, you want me to include you in a prayer that asks Jesus just to come into your life and be your Lord and Saviour. I'm gonna ask you when I say three, just to raise your hand long enough and high enough so that I can see it and I know who I'm praying for. Are you ready? One, two and three. Just raise your hand. Thank you, God bless you. I see your hand, anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you, I see your plan, your hand, incredible. Over in Olboy, I can't see you, but I'm believing hands are going up. Thank you, God bless you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Perhaps you've made a decision once before, but for whatever reason, you've walked away from the Lord and you just sense that you just wanna turn around and, and you're wanting to renew your commitment with Him today. Why don't you just raise your hand? Incredible. Well, church, we are going to pray together along with these incredible people that have raised their hands, both here in Copenhagen and possibly over in Olbor as well. I'm gonna ask you, church, to pray along with me. Would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, thank You for dying on the cross for me. Three days later, You rose from the dead and I ask You to be my Lord and my Saviour. Amen. Amen. Can we give a big round of applause to every person that raised their hand? That is absolutely incredible.